Hello, everyone. Good morning. Sorry that uh, video just interrupted you, or it stopped so you can't keep talking. Well, I mean, you can keep talking. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Um, my name's Cody. I'm on the team here at CLA. It's a pleasure to see all of your faces this morning. And uh, if you remember last time I spoke, we had the extended version of the uh, intro video that would not stop, and it had the cool beat, if anyone was there and remembers that. So we decided to just cut it short this week so that we would just average it out based on the times that I'm speaking. So it's going to be good. I'm, I'm excited for this morning. We're going to see what God does, anticipating cool things to happen, as always, because when we create a space for God to move, he does it. Um, and so that's what it's all about here. That's what we're about here at CLA. So I'm continuing on in our series uh, with Passion Week, the Wednesday, Thursday specifically. Um, but before I get dive into this and get started with what I wanted to share, um, I want to just share a bit about just a personal thing that I felt like God wanted to talk about this morning. And uh, so this goes back to last Monday. I was at Tehillah once again. I feel like I've shared about Tehillah a lot, but I guess God speaks to me a lot there. It's a young, a young adult service here in the city, if you're unfamiliar with that. Um, churches from all over Calgary go there and gather, and it's a really beautiful place, and God moves there. Um, and so they had the service, they had their worship, the, the speaker came up, and then they had a bit of like an altar call time. Um, and I was, just, I was just hanging out at the back, and if you don't know, I work with uh, Caleb, who's Don's son. He's not here this morning, I would point him out. Usually he's sitting right up here, um, and we go to Tehila together, and so kind of... If, if Caleb wants to go, we go. So that's kind of how it's dictated. Um, and so if Caleb doesn't want to go, we don't go. So that depends how long we uh, stay at Tehillah for. And um, so we, we, were, we were there. The service was done, altar call. And uh, I'm like, okay, Caleb, do you want to go? Like I went, he was kind of sitting outside already, so I just assumed he wanted to leave. I'm like, you want to go now? And then he started gathering his stuff and putting on his hoodie. So I'm like, okay, he wants to go. So I went back in, and I grabbed my bag ready to go, and I, I come out. And he puts all his, 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 he's ready to go, and then he just goes right back into the sanctuary. He's not ready to go yet. So we go back in, um, and his best friend, James Clarence, works there as the pastor. So he's just following James Clarence around. If you've been there, you know, like, even la last Monday, he was on stage with James, like, during the, the, the altar call, everything. He's loving it. Um, and it's amazing. And so I'm staying there because Caleb's staying. And I was ready to go, and I had kind of checked out mentally already a little bit. Um, and there are all these people who are going to the front for various things, and then someone came to the front and said, I just feel like um, there are some pastors or ex-pastors in here that God wants you to come to the front. And I'm like, okay, like that's kind of specific because there's probably three pastors in this room of 400 people right now. So I'm like, God, I, I, you might be talking to me a little bit here. So I went to the front, um, and I was standing there for I don't know how long, maybe 20 minutes, um, and I, if I'm honest, it was, you know, it was a cool, it was cool. I was seeing people, I was seeing people experience God around me and I wasn't getting like the, the Holy Ghost shakes or whatever you want to call them, the shivers, the goosebumps. Um, but it was a, it was a good time. And so that, that segment concluded and then uh, I was ready to go. And as I was like, I turned around to, to exit the auditorium cause Caleb, he's ready to go. He's going to my car. Um, someone, a friend of mine stopped me and said, Hey, can I pray for you? I said, sure, let's, let's do it. And so he started to pray for me. And it was a really good prayer. Um, and there, he said a lot of cool things just about the season that I'm in, the season that I'm going to go into. Um, but I, the, the one thing that I remember so distinctly, it was three, he said three words. And immediately when he said those three words, I just began to just cry. And it was the words, um, it's not, he said that it's not that God is distant from you, but he just wants you to know that he misses you. He misses you. And ha right away, um, I, I, I'm brought back to, I'm sitting here at CLA, and there's, this is probably on record somewhere, maybe a year or two ago, and I, I, I shared this experience that I'd had at CLA where I was in worship, and I was doing the church thing, you know, I was doing church, but I wasn't actually just, I wasn't listening to God, I was just doing church. And I heard that, that, that voice say, hey, Cody, I, I miss you. And in those words, there's, there was no shame, there was no guilt, there was no condemnation. It was like pure love was speaking to me. There was no, the reasoning behind him saying I miss you is not to, to get mad at me or to reprimand me for being far from him or not focusing on him as much as I should be. The I miss you is simply just an invitation for me to come back into his presence. 
because that's where I need to be. And that's where I find belonging. And if I'm anywhere out of that place, if I'm anywhere outside of his, the union with God, if I'm outside of his presence, I'm not going to feel belonging. I'm not going to feel whole. I'm not going to feel peace. I'm not going to feel what I need to feel in order to change my life and to change the life of the people that are around me. And so this, my friend, he's praying and he said, I just feel like God's saying, I miss you. And, it, and there are those, those phrases throughout my life that if I hear them, or if someone prays them, I'm, I'm immediately done. It doesn't matter the context, where I'm at, how I'm feeling. But it's like God is just reminding me, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I felt like this morning, even during worship, I was, I, the first couple songs, I was just doing church. I just came in through these doors, and I work here at CLA, and what I do is I usually sit right here. And I, I worship and I sing and I read some words on a screen and I listen to a sermon or I, I say a sermon. Because speaking up here can be doing church as much as worshiping or as much as participating. And I felt like God saying, Cody, you're doing church again. I miss you. And I felt like he wanted to share that with some of you this morning, that God misses you. His tender love is beckoning for your hearts. He's pulling on your heartstrings. Even now in this moment, you're feeling his presence come so close to your heart. And it's not looking back at your past and the things that you've done wrong or the devotionals you haven't been doing or the, the you should be reading your Bible more, you should be worshiping me more. There's none of that. It's just simply I'm here right now. Let's do this. So this morning, God is saying he misses you. And let's not be a, and it's so easy to just forget. It's so easy to just go back to doing church. It's so easy, and even right after you hear those words, I miss you, within 15 seconds, you can go back to doing church again. It's not like it's just, it remedies itself instantly. So, Holy Spirit, this morning, I pray um, that only the words that, I, that you want me to speak would I speak. God, I don't, I don't want my own agenda. I don't want my own platform. I don't, it's, it's not about anything that I'm doing. It's about what you're going to do, God. So would you guide my words? Would you guide my actions? Would you speak and would you move, God? Even this morning, there's grace that if you're stuck in the cycle of, I'm, I'm done my prayer, I'm, gonna, I'm preaching again. <laughs> if, you're, if you're stuck in the cycle of doing church, hey, you actually have permission to leave today. Because there's some of you that are in here where actually God shows up in the disruptions of our life. God shows up when we actually disrupt the patterns that we're so used to him working in, that we've put him in a box for, that, okay, uh, you know what, it's been a really rough week, and Sunday is where, you know, things are good for me. And maybe God wants to break you out of that box where God, he wants to show up for you on a Wednesday. He wants to show up for you on a, on a Monday at work when you're not looking forward to going. And so this morning, if you feel this, this inkling, this edging for you to, to leave this place and go just seek God wherever that may be. And I've said this before in sermons, but it's kind of, it's, it's so... Anti, it's just ironic a pastor saying, hey, leave church. Usually we're saying, come to church, come to church. But this morning, you have permission to leave if you feel as though that's going to disrupt the pattern of religion in your life. If you feel like you have to come to church for God to be close to you. If you have to be in this building on a Sunday morning for God to speak to you, that's, it's so far from the truth. He wants to talk to you every single day of the week, every single minute. He's crying out the Holy Trinity. It's, it, they're a divine dance over you. They're constantly dancing over you. Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father. And they're just saying, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. Let's, let's have fun together. Let's play together. Let's participate in community together. And that can happen here and on a Sunday morning. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing this. This is amazing. This is beautiful. But some of us need to get out of this rhythm. Or maybe that looks like praying for someone you would never pray for. 
or you haven't met in this room. You're disrupting the pattern. Maybe you're one of the people, you know, you, you're, you come right as worship is ending. You come and you sit at the back. And then as, you, as right, when I'm, right when I say amen at the end, you're out the doors. Maybe God is just, he's prompting you to maybe stay a little bit and have a conversation with someone. He's disrupting the pattern of your life because it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. We, get, we, like, we do what we do in our walk with God and we take the same steps over and over and over again. And if I keep taking the same steps, steps, the ruts in the ground begin to form to my feet and they become comfortable and it becomes the only path that I begin to take because if I step out here, there's no ruts where my feet have gone and it's uncomfortable. But God is over here as well. But your breakthrough is over here as well, but someone else's breakthrough is over here as well. And they're actually waiting for a word from God from someone that's in this room. And he's going to divinely give you a word for someone that's going to change and alter the trajectory of their life. That's what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And the mouthpiece of Jesus sometimes. That's what the body of Christ is. And God can speak to you on his own and he can say the sweet I miss you's and the I love you's, but as well he can work as, just as much in community. So, that's my preface. So at any moment, if I, uh, if I see you stand up and leave, there is no judgment at all. Do what you need to do. If you need to lay down, if you need to get up and stand, go for it. I feel like rigidity is so overrated. Especially like in Western culture, it's very, and even more so in Canadian culture, you know, we're the polite ones. Which, I mean, if, <laughs> whenever Americans meet me, they're like, you're Canadian, what? <laughs> I thought you were from California. Um, but, like, this whole, uh, maybe, you know, I'm just dreaming, and this is just improv. Tim, Tim's like, where are we going, Cody? Where are we going? <laughs> maybe, what, maybe one Sunday you're going to come in here and there's going to be no seats. We're going to have to lay cross-legged on the ground. I'm just dreaming. Like, what does it look like for it to look differently or... Maybe one morning, and we've done this, we're just going to worship the whole morning. There's not going to be a message. Or maybe the opposite, there's only going to be, there's going to be a really inspired message the whole morning. Or maybe we're going to end early. Yeah, Tim's like, yeah. Yeah, let's end early, yeah. Get off that stage, Cody, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, maybe we should end late, but we do that anyways all the time, so... That's not really going against the groove of where we, where we are as a church. And on time, yeah. <laughs> it's going against the grain. So, with that in mind, let's go into this a little bit. Who knows where I'm going to go? I'm going to go on a lot of tangents this morning because I feel it. I actually, uh, this is a tangent, obviously. I miss Michael Pierce because he gives me the, uh, Amen. And the, yeah, that's good from right over there. The, the audibles, like, I love it. So if some of you want to take, like, you know, the body of Christ. Um, Michael is the vocals during sermons most of the time. But he's in Egypt on a missions trip currently. So if someone else wants to take that role and say, you know what? I'm going to, in his place, I'm going to be that. Let's do it. Snap, snap, snap. All right, Wednesday, Thursday of Passion Week. Um... So I started reading about, like, specifically what these were. And honestly, Wednesday doesn't have a whole lot of content for me. Um, biblically, scholars say that it's the Wednesday in Passion Week. Um, Jesus and his disciples were pretty much just resting in Bethany. That's about as good as they, they, they can surmise based on the script. And there's not a whole lot of description of what they did. We just know they were in Bethany. And uh, they, we don't know exactly what activities they participated in. But that it was probably pretty restful for them. So I don't know how Jesus and his disciples would rest. Um, I'm sure some of them were introverted and they would go on their own, find a little room, and they would just be by themselves. And then others of them were probably very extroverted and they would play whatever games they played in the ancient Near East at that time. I actually don't know that, which I will study after this, obviously, knowing who I am as a person. Games that Jesus played. <laughs> Yahtzee with stones. 
Um, but this, uh, for me, this Wednesday is a reminder that uh, we need to rest. We need Sabbath. It's, it's, it's ingrained in not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament, biblically, scripturally, experientially, traditionally, whatever way you want to go about it. You have to rest or you're going to burn out. And rest uh, doesn't mean just coming to church on a Sunday morning. Rest might actually mean skipping church on a Sunday morning. Ooh. Ruffling some feathers. That's what I'm here for. But rest looks different for everyone. Rest for some people is get around as many people as possible and just have a party. Which I kind of like, I teeter. Like I'm right on the edge of introvert, extrovert. Um, So if I'm around... A lot of people for a long time, I need to get away. But as well, if I'm by myself for a long time, I need to get around people. So it's kind of nice, um, a bit of a hybrid. But rest looks different. You need it. If you feel like you're burning out in the season of life that you're in, if you feel like you're on your wit's edge, if you feel like you can't go another day into work, um, it's time to figure out a way to rest. Like, you have to do that. Because you're going to... Your, 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 the repercussions on your physical body, the repercussions on your mental health, the repercussions on your spiritual walk, the repercussions on the people that are around you if you're not rested is, is all going to be negative. And so we're going to model our lives after Jesus, and he would always go to the hillside to pray. So I, I, I think Jesus was a little bit introverted if I was to, like, project my own whatever onto the scripture because he would always go on his own to pray. And I feel like sometimes maybe he wasn't even totally praying. Maybe sometimes he was just like, I got to get away from these guys because they're just wild sometimes. And I'm just going to go rest over here and take a nap. Or like sloking, as we call it, where it's like the sleep soak in, the God's, in God's presence. Um, I, that was a staple for me when I was at ministry school. Because where I was like, people would be laying down all the time. And you'd just be like, wow, this person's just really experiencing God right now. And sometimes, yes. But sometimes I was just asleep, and I was resting in his arms. All right, we're going to move on from Wednesday. But rest, rest, rest. Figure out how to do it. Um, If that means changing your job because it's actually going to burn you to the ground, do that. And that sounds very scary to some people because you've worked there for 10 years, or it's, it's putting money on the table, it's putting food on the table for your family. But... 15 years down the road, it's going to help your family more if you're rested and whole than if you're burnt out and working a dead-end job that's not going to lead you anywhere. So, that, I mean, that, that's easier said than done. I understand that. But I think it's very important for us to, to do stuff we love. Hey, we're, we're Ecclesiastes. We're just a vapor. We're here for a moment. We're gone the next so let's do what the best that we can do with this vapor that we are. Let's transform this world with what we have. Um, and that's being rested because you're not going to, it's just going to, re- you're going to reach so many dead ends if that's not the case. So that's Wednesday, Thursday. Um, in, on most accounts, so in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you did not know what that meant, um, we have the Last Supper, which is on the Thursday. Um, and ironically enough, John decides to just go a whole different way, and his last supper, the Last Supper narrative in John is actually before Passover. And so the Thursday for John's account of the gospel is actually the ceremony where he washes the feet of his disciples. And so me being me, I, I read that and I decided, oh, we're going John route today because I just feel like it's a little different. I feel like it's a little edgy. Um, And so we're going to go down this route. And the Last Supper, I'm sure we've heard lots of sermons on them, and there's so many beautiful things about it. But I'm going to really focus on the the John narrative this morning of the day before Jesus is crucified. He's washing his disciples' feet. And as I was writing this, I feel like oftentimes there's a bit of um, an indicator in my relationship with God is uh, I probably cry most in coffee shops than anywhere else. Uh, on earth, uh, more so than in churches or at my house, because I'm always writing sermons in coffee shops. And if you see me there alone, oftentimes I'll just be in the corner on my laptop, and I'll just have my eyes closed with tears going down my face, because I, that's an indication that I'm going the right direction a lot of times. 
Um, because if, if I'm getting impacted, like, if for me to communicate something to you, I feel false and I feel fake if I'm doing it without an experience behind it. If I'm just regurgitating knowledge and things that sound really cool to impress you guys, it's, it's, it might fill your minds and you might get impacted because God can work in any way he wants, but it's not, it's not, it's not sustainable. And so honestly, I, I, I feel that's why a lot of the church is declining is because we're just trying to fill, I'm trying to fill you with knowledge. I'm trying to fill you with apologetics. And this is the answer for this question. And this is why, this is how you respond to if someone asks you about this, or this is how you evangelize to this group of people. And we're just filling with knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, but there's no experience behind it to propel us forward. Like I can say Jesus loves you, but if I haven't experienced that love myself, it's just hollow words. It's just English language. Thank you. So the first story we're going to look at is actually in Luke uh, chapter 7, 36 to 50, if you want to turn to your Bibles. We're going to go through this whole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this whole story for us. Um, but as I'm reading, let's not check out. Because if, if any of you are like me, I do this a lot. You know, I, I, I come in and out to sermons, I, I listen to certain parts, and then I, I find myself, I don't know where I am, but I'm not listening to the sermon. And when scriptures come up, sometimes, you know, it's easy to engage, and you're just in a spirit of engaging. But other times, it's just like, if you see a wall of text come up, it's like, okay, I'm just going to let the pastor say those things, and I'm going to come back in when he's done. Um, but let's, let's immerse ourselves in this story this morning. Like, let's... Let's go to that place. Let's not just, we're not just reading pages from a book. We're not just filling this right now. We're going we're gonna to fill our hearts and we, I, I want us to experience this story. Because this story is, is really beautiful. So in, starting in 36, verse 36, chapter 7, um, it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So right off the bat, it's, you know, Jesus, he, he doesn't exclude the religious who have been persecuting him. He doesn't push them away. And oftentimes he's very harsh with them, but there's still this, this, this invitation for anyone. And I think sometimes we, and this is, I'm going off script again, but sometimes it's really, it's actually kind of easy to love like sinners. It's easy to say that you love sinners. It's easy to invite. Um, for me, it's, it's actually really easy to, to co like connect with that kind of, if you want to create a demographic out of that. It's easier to connect with those people. Um, maybe people experiencing homelessness or um, people who have been ostracized by society in the LGBTQ community. Or these, these people are, are actually a lot easier for me to connect to than the highly religious um, people, people who, you know, it's their way or the highway. And if, you're, if you think anything differently, that's not of God. And so you can just, no, you need to believe what I believe. It's harder for me to love those people than for the sinners. So in this story, we have Jesus inviting the Pharisees, or the Pharisees are inviting him, and he's, he's laying at their table and resting with them. So it's both and. It's not just pick one. It's not just loving this group. It's loving all the groups. And so he's reclining at the table, and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And so oftentimes people equate this woman, um, who is not named in the Luke account of this, but is named Mary in other accounts, in other gospels, with Mary Magdalene. Um, but that's not the case at all. May Mary Magdalene was not related to Lazarus. She was not the sister to Lazarus, which, which what it, is what it says in the text so just a little debunk there for you. Um, this is not Mary Magdalene. Different Mary. Mary was a very common name in that day. So a woman in that town, she lived a sinful life. She learned Jesus was eating at this house. Uh, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And this jar of perfume, it probably cost about a year's wages for her. Um, so think about, I don't know what an average year's wage is now. But whatever you make in a year, think about that in a, in a jar of perfume. Dolce & Gabbana. Yeah, pricey. Um, so she sat there with this jar. And as she stood behind him, 
At his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And I just, even as I'm reading this, this is the first time I really like, I'm noticing that she's standing behind him. It's almost as if there's this feeling of she doesn't even feel worthy of being in front of Jesus. There's almost maybe this fear, this feeling of shame and guilt where I'm not worthy to face you face to face, so I'm going to come behind you and I'm going to lay at your feet. But there's also a sense, as I'm saying that, of protection. Where Jesus is saying, come behind me and I'll, I'll lead you. Follow in my steps. So as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and she poured perfume on them. So imagine that. Like this is messy. This is gritty. This isn't some clean, easy story that we see every day in our modern world. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. So that's there, right there, this, this Pharisee has taken on the role of Satan. He's taken on the role of the accuser. You don't know what she's like, who she is or what lifestyle she lives. If you were truly a prophet, if you were truly, if these stories that I've heard about you were true, this wouldn't be happening right now. This Pharisee is looking for a way out. He's looking for something to accuse. He's looking for a crack in Jesus' armor to say, oh, you're not the son of God. He's waiting. He's looking. And then the opportunity comes. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And then Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, so even here as I'm reading this, this is all new. I didn't plan this. But he turned to her. She's behind him and he turns to her and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Which, if you're the Pharisees in this house, is the most radical thing that you can say. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. The, the, the areas of your life that you were missing the mark in, hey, that's okay. And as I was reading this, <laughs> as I was immersing myself in this story, I couldn't help but just imagine what Jesus would have looked like. Like, Jesus, what are you doing you're, you're, Jesus is literally having conversations with people and there's a woman who is behind him kissing his feet the whole time. And she is weeping because she knows that this is the, this is the answer that she's been looking for. I've been looking for fulfillment in all of these areas. I've been looking for fulfillment in, these, in men. I've been looking for fulfillment in drugs, in alcohol, in, in earthly material possessions. In the next house, the next car, the next relationship. I've been looking for these things in these places, but in this moment I realize that it's right here in front of me. Everything that I've been searching for. And so 
in that moment, dignity goes out the window. Rigidity goes out the window. What's, what should be happening and what should not be happening, those questions, the rationality of your mind, it goes out the window because you're experiencing something that is far beyond what your mind can comprehend. So she has everything that she has, every material possession, this perfume, it represents everything that she has of this world. And she's willing to pour it all out on his feet instantly. And imagine this, the, the household that Jesus was in, it's, it wouldn't have been a nice house. The floors during that time would have been just, just padded down dirt. And if you were wealthy, maybe you would have some tiling, but... Jesus and his crew probably weren't in these households very often. So Jesus is in this house, and it's, it's, it's dirt floor, and this woman is kneeling in the dirt, in the dust. And Jesus' feet are dirty, and they're dusty. And she's weeping, and her tears are dripping from her face, and they're, they're making Jesus' feet wet. And so she's wiping off this mud with her hair. It's not just dirt, it's become mud because it's mixed with her tears. She has her hair and she's wiping it off. And she's getting this jar of perfume that would have been like an oil and she's pouring, it's not like she poured a little bit at a time, she pours it all out at once. God, I'm giving you all, I'm not going to reserve some for later, I'm giving you everything that I have for you right now in this moment. And so she pours this oil out, and this oil is mixing with the dirt. And before you know it, Jesus, where he's sitting, his, it's, it's mud around him. It's not even just dirt anymore. It's this muddy, dirty mess. And, and if, if that was me, I would be irritated. Why, why are you kissing my feet? But as I, as I imagine Jesus, what do you look like here? What do you, and all I see is his eyes of love. All I see is Jesus saying, I'm so sorry that you've been hurt by people. I'm so sorry that you've been hurt by this world. And I can only imagine that Jesus is inspired by these ladies' actions. I can only imagine that Jesus in a weird way, is experiencing God through this woman. As weird as that sounds, because he is God, but he's, he's saying that's what it's about. That's me. And immediately this Pharisee says, what, why are you letting this person do this? And he, you know what, he doesn't say anything upon entering the house that there's no water to wash his feet, there's no anointing, there's no kisses. He doesn't say that at the beginning. He's not coming in there saying, why haven't you done this for me? But in the act of religion, in, the, in a negative sense, in the act of why is this woman doing this, Jesus, then he says, okay, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about what you're doing wrong in this situation. You didn't give me any of this, and this is what I desire in this moment. And so this woman's hair, it's, it's muddy. It's full of this mud, and she's just, she's just making herself filthy and messy but she doesn't care so this morning are you ready to get messy and gritty and dirty with God in those areas of your life are you are we willing to experience God in a way where it doesn't matter what anyone around me thinks of me but as as David worshiped unadulterated before the Lord undignified Tearing his clothes off. I don't care. This is what we see in this, in this story. This is what we see in this image. She's, she's snotty. She's crying. But there's nothing more beautiful in Jesus' eyes in that moment. I, I, I would imagine that in, throughout Jesus' ministry, this is probably one of his favorite moments. And he's seen miracles, and he sees signs, and he sees wonder. But to see someone undignified at his feet, it has to, do, it has to move him. So Thursday, this Passion Week, it's called Monday Thursday in, in lots of traditions. 
There's several, several names for this practice of washing the feet. It's foot washing, mandi, washing the saints' feet, pedalivium, and mandatum. And the word mandi comes from the Latin mandatum or command, which refers to the instruction Jesus gave his disciples at the Last Supper. In many countries, this day is known as Holy Thursday, and it's a public holiday. Just a little fact for you there. And so we have this really gritty story, and then we fast forward to John 13, to the day before Jesus is about to die. I can only imagine the emotion and the anxiety that that would bring upon a person, that he's sweating blood, he's so distraught. And so John 13, chapter, uh, John 13, verses 1 to 17, this is in the NIV. We're going to read this, we're going to immerse ourselves in this. So now before the, the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. So even this... He's taking off his robe. He's taking off his, his nice clothes. And so he's just left with his undergarments. And this is a symbolic sense, and scholars say it's highlighted in this picture of Jesus laying aside his garments and then taking them up as a picture of Christ laying down his life and taking it up again the next day. So then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but it is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean, referring to Judas. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, side note here, it doesn't say that Jesus didn't wash the feet of Judas as well. Interesting. Just thought of that. After he wa had washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table. He said to them, do you... Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've set you as an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants, are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay. So, this Chris Church, he says it like this, an act necessary, so washing, the washing of feet is an act necessary for comfort and cleanliness for any who have traveled dusty Palestinian roads wearing sandals. Customarily, a host provided guests with water for washing their own feet. Um, that, they say that in Judges and in Luke, as we just read. Uh, Simon did not provide that water. Foot washing was regarded as so lowly a task that it would not even be required of a Hebrew slave. So not even Hebrew slaves were required to wash the feet of their masters or the people that owned them. It was such a lowly task. And I can't help but, when I read these two stories side by side, I can't help but imagining as Jesus is undoing his garments and kneeling down to wash his disciples' feet, is he seeing Mary's face in his, in his mind? Is he seeing this, this woman who is completely undignified and said, God, this is, I'm giving you my all, I'm giving it. Is this, is he almost inspired by this story to do it again? It's just a question. And so, just to like bring us even deeper into this context, let's, let's talk about this act itself. This is, Oftentimes we say, oh, it's, you know, it's just dusty feet. They had sandals. So you just imagine like if you were at the beach or something and someone came and washed your, washed your feet, which, you know, it's kind of gross, but it's okay. We can deal with that. But um, 
let me talk to you a little bit. I know I went into like ancient well structures on a sermon a while ago. Um, today we're going to amp it up. We're going to go up one more, and we're going to talk about ancient Near East toilet structures and how that would actually work. Because in order for us to actually understand the ramifications of the story and actually how grotesque it is, we need to understand the context in which it was written. And so toilet structures in the ancient Near East, um, if you were really wealthy, so if you were a Roman living in Pompeii, for example, um, they would have latrine systems where they would have rooms that were bathrooms, and you would kind of like, there'd just be like a row of stone with, with a bunch of holes in it. No privacy. There's no such thing as stalls back in these days. And you would, you would go and you would do your business, um, and then there would be like running water underneath, so it would be kind of washing it away. And this is, like, this is like the millionaires and billionaires of their culture, right? This is not everyday people. And so um, you ask, okay, what about like toilet, like did they just kind of air dry, you know, uh, toilet paper, what's going on with that? And um, most of the time they would have a sponge on a stick, okay? Um, and I know what you're asking, the question, um, they did not get a sponge for themselves. There was one sponge on a stick for everyone that's in line for until the sponge has no more place or no more room in it. And this, these are the millionaires and billionaires of the culture. So we, we go to what Jesus and his disciples would have experienced in Judea, um, very poor cities, Bethany, all these areas where they would not have these latrine systems at all. And so the main way that they would uh, go to the bathroom is Sometimes they would take, like, if they had a broken pottery, like a, a, a vase or um, a tray, I don't know what else they're using pottery for. But if they had one that was kind of cracked and broken and they had no more need for it, they would go in, into that, and then they would just kind of throw it out somewhere. Um, but if they didn't have that, if they, that wasn't available to them, uh, the streets were the bathrooms. So you would just kind of go out your house, and you would do your business, and then you would go back in your house. And so there were rich, I like Pompeii, rich areas. Actually, they had like fountain systems that would come and they would, they would bring water to wash away all of the, the residue from the streets. But again, these, these are the rich people. Um, these are the Beverly Hills. So Jesus is not experiencing this. So um, we have defecation and urination all throughout the streets. They even, archaeology has found signs that say, please don't do your business here on front of like storefronts that are etched in stone. Really cool if you're nerdy like me. Um, if you're not nerdy like me, now you're going to know. This is a super cool, like, party knowledge that you can just share with people now. Um, because that's what I do. That's all I do when I go to parties. I just share about uh, toilet systems back in the day. And so, so we're walking in sandals. We don't, have the, we don't have the Converse high tops. And there's dust, of course, there's dirt, there's mud, but as well, there's human feces, there's human urine, there's animal. Like, if you were, I hear so many times people are like, if only I could go back to Jesus' time. And I understand that, I understand that, it would be great. Um, but the smell alone would probably kill most of us. And we would, we would all, like, with our immune systems, we would all die within a matter of weeks based on the diseases there. Just if you're being a realist in that situation. And yes, I'm not denying that it'd be cool to see Jesus in his ministry, but you would have to see it very shortly because you wouldn't last very long as you are right now. Unless God gave you a supernatural immune system, which he can do that. So if you need that this morning, we pray healing over you. Um, my mind is so, like, where is it going here? And I'm out of time, I got a minute. Okay. So anyways, um, Jesus... And this act, and so we can go back to the Luke account, and we can go to this woman, and she's washing the feet of Jesus that are, it's not just dust and dirt, but there's all other things that are on this man's feet. And she's, she's wiping it with her tears in her hair. Okay, this isn't, this isn't a clean, this, and sometimes we can, we can just gloss over the, the actual story. And we can modernize it and we can say, oh yeah, like this is what it would look like if I was to do this today. But it means so much differently and it's, it's so much, like the fact of that story just, just really compels me. And it's humiliating. And so Jesus, he's actually willing to be, to do the humiliating things of society in that time. 
He's willing to, to do the thing that not even a Hebrew slave would do for their master. He's saying, hey, I'm going to wash all of your feet. And obviously, Simon Peter's like, no way, you're going to, what are you talking about? This, it, it shocks him because it's so countercultural. It's so against the grain of things that have been done for so long in their context. And then the next day, he's hung on a tree. He's hung on a cross, which is the most humiliating crucifixion that you can experience in Roman times. And this is what separates Christianity from the rest of things, in my opinion. If people ask, Cody, what is the thing about Christianity that compels you, that propels you forward, that keeps you going? It's that there's a God who came and he was willing to be humiliated. He was willing to empty himself. He was willing to go low and to do things that not even slaves were required to do so that he could show love to the broken and the needy. And he, so he could say, I love you and I know you in your most dark, in your most messy, in your most gritty places. And not only do I see you and know you in those places, but I come and I wash them clean. And I wipe away the dirt, and I wipe away the dust, and I wipe away the apathy, and I wipe away the things that have hurt you. And I say, your sins are forgiven. You do not have to make those mistakes any longer, but you are made whole in my image. I'm going to invite a musician up here, whichever one of you. And so I'm going to end, we have two slight things, this, with this quote from a man named Rich Velotis, who I'm a big fan of, I follow him on Instagram, you should too. Um, and this, this, when I was, I was looking for something to kind of be the anchor at the end, and this summates it so beautifully. And so he says it here, he says, Jesus, Jesus washes our feet. He stoops down to touch one of the most blatantly broken areas of our body. Our feet often reveal the struggle of the journey we've lived. They bear the wounds of ill-fitting footwear and of long, arduous, arduous meandering through life. Our feet often reveal the weight we've been carrying, the pain we've been holding. They reveal the place we are most vulnerable. They sometimes smell and constantly remind us of our shortcomings. So when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he's touching them at their most vulnerable, broken, and tired place of their body. For Jesus, washing our feet is not a matter of making us sanitary. The act is a matter of seeing us in the place we most often want to hide. In bending down to touch and wash our feet, Jesus says, I see you, I know you, and I love you. And this morning, in this moment, Jesus, he wants to wash your feet. He wants to go to those places that we feel are too dark or too broken or too painful or we've used them too many times and he wants to bring life and he wants to bring love and he wants to bring revitalization It's not just so that we can be sanitary. It's so that we can be known and loved. And the, the charge is, the, the declaration of Jesus is, I've done this for you. I've washed your feet. So, hey, it's, now it's your turn to go and wash the feet of, the other, of others around you. It doesn't stop at Jesus washing our feet. It doesn't stop at being known and loved by Jesus. That's, that's the first step. You have to get there first. But then that means we have to start washing the feet of those around us. Hey, we, hey, I want you to know in the midst of the pain that you're experiencing, I, I want you to know that you are loved and you are seen and you are known. Let me wash your feet. And this morning, on Monday, I texted Tim. I said, Tim, what do, how do you feel about if I was to wash your feet on Sunday? And he said, uh, I'm very uncomfortable with that. Understandably so. It's uncomfortable. It, it feels unnatural. And even in our context, it's a lot better. We're not in sand. We're not in other things. But there's something about the act of washing feet where it's saying, I'm coming low. And so, Tim, I, I want to wash your feet this morning. And I want to come in humility, and I want to just thank 
how? I didn't put this in the notes. Okay. I want to thank you for all you've done in my life. The father figure that you've been for me. And I just, as as an act, I want to say, like, I'm going to serve you. Whatever you need, wherever you need it, um, you've, you've done so much and poured so much into my life. And so I want to do the same for you this morning. All right, so God, I just, uh, I pray that this would be an act that we would do for one another, whether that's physical. Maybe some of you are going to feel prompted where you're going to say, can I, can I wash your feet? Or whether that's a metaphorical ramification of, I'm going to lay low and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to know you, I'm going to love you, just as Jesus has known and loved me. And uh, my apologies, my apologies, we went overtime as, I guess, normal. Um, but let's, if, you, if you feel as though you want to stay in this place, you can do so. Parents, go get your little ones. Um, yeah, God, I pray that you would continue to just move within this church. Would we be a church that washes the feet of those around us? Um, we're not afraid to go into the nitty-gritty. We're not afraid to go into the mess. We're not afraid to go into the grief and the loss and the pain and the suffering that sometimes life gives us. But we share those things with one another as well as in the victories and the joys and the happiness and the celebrations. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you just move in hearts however you need to move. Would would we find you in the disruptions of our patterns? And uh, we love you so much, God. If, if you're calling out that you miss us this morning, would we respond? Would we acknowledge that you're here, you're whispering, you're, you're loving us wherever we're at in our lives? So I bless you all this week. Have a great week. Um, we'll be up here for some prayer if you need so. And uh, yeah, be blessed in Jesus' name. <laughs>